0: This morning with our teaching regrets we all have them whether it be something from last week last year or decades ago we long to make things right to change direction to begin again the good news is this you can start over you can actually learn to love your regrets
1: that was my water bottle I knocked it over, just gonna own it. Good morning, I'm so glad to be here with you all today. Thank you for the warm welcome. It has been a pleasure to be here so far today. Um, As John said, I am out at our Downers Grove location, but I love every chance I can get to come in and be with our church family here in the city. I actually moved here to the Chicagoland area just a year and a half ago with my family though. Uh, So I'm definitely still learning the culture, and so thank you for your warm welcome. And I wanna start by asking, a question. Do I have any sports fans here? In the? Okay, all right, all right. Okay, good. I'm doing my best, you guys. I'm trying to learn Chicago teams. I haven't earned my Chicago card yet, but I'm, I'm really trying. Um, but if you were to think of maybe the greatest athletes of all time, you don't have to shout it out, but just think about who would make that list for you. I think since we're in Chicago, I would be uh, missing out on something if I didn't start with Michael Jordan, right? Okay, all right, a couple MJ fans here. Michael Jordan, I mean, six NBA championships in eight years. Those were the days to be a Bulls fan from what I hear, right? (laughs) Uh, Not since then, yeah. (laughs) Um, Or what about Serena Williams? She won 23 Grand Slam titles. I mean, the woman is incredible. Am I right? Incredible. But as, whoever your like, favorite athlete could be, whoever makes that list for you, I think something could be said to make a case for Michael Phelps. He has won more medals than any other athlete in the sport of swimming. 28 medals, 23 of them were gold. He's the most decorated Olympian in the history of the sport. But perhaps even more compelling than what he did in the pool is how different his life could have turned out. So I want to take just a moment here to look at Michael's story because there's a lot that was taking place in his life over recent years that has nothing to do with those gold medals. See, after the London Games in 2012, Michael's life was kind of spinning out of control. He was overwhelmed. He was falling into apathy about swimming. His relationships were growing distant. He was turning to alcohol and drugs. And he just felt empty. And in 2014, he describes it as hitting bottom. He was arrested for his second DUI. And after that arrest, he felt like he was on the verge of losing everything. He started to isolate. He started to push people away, and he was even contemplating taking his own life. He was a dark place. And I think, tragically, we're not unfamiliar with these kinds of stories. But the beautiful thing about Michael's story is that his friends and family convinced him to check himself into a rehab facility And when he went to the facility, he took with him a book that his friend had given him. We're going to put a picture up on the screen here. It's called The Purpose Driven Life. His friend gave him this book, and he took it with him when he went into the rehab facility. And in that book, something happened through the words that turned his life around. He describes that experience by saying, it turned me into believing there is a power greater than myself, and there's a purpose for me on this planet. Man, I can really resonate with that quote, how much we need to be reminded that we have a purpose on this planet. See, as bad as hitting rock bottom was, Phelps said that it changed everything for him. This situation that he certainly regretted became the turning point in his life. He went on to become married, to have kids, to win more medals, but one of the things that is unique is that he also had found a new sense of purpose. Phelps had become has become a leading advocate for mental health care. He has spoken out and brought a voice into the world of athletics by sharing his story. Through his vulnerability, his courage to share that story, he has created a new narrative. Which has invited other athletes to also step up and begin to share their stories as well. From gymnastics legend Simone Biles to NBA stars like Kevin Love or NFL players like Dak Prescott, athletes have now become leading voices in these destigmatizing conversations about mental health. And I think what is so interesting about this is that we can be reminded that this whole movement is rooted in a moment of hitting rock bottom, when he might not have been able to see the potential for what was to come in that dark moment of rock bottom. I love that. So for Phelps, what began as a story of regret became a story of redemption. And so I want you to understand this today. This is for you, that God wants to take your story of regret and turn it into a story of redemption. I'm gonna say it one more time. God wants to take your story of regret and turn it into a story of redemption. Let's hold on to that today. Redemption is allowing God to take everything from our past, the hurts, the pains, the hang-ups, the mistakes, and use them for his great good, and to use them for his great gain. Paul, who knew quite a bit about regret and he knew quite a bit about redemption, has something to say about this in the book of Romans. He says, And we know that in all things God works for the good of those who love him, who have been called according to his purpose. Let's look at that. How many things? All things, yes. All things. That means the good things and the bad things, the things that we wish would happen again and the things that we wish would have never happened, the, the things that disappointed us, the things that make us cringe. I have a 10-year-old who likes to remind me frequently that I'm cringe. The things, <laughs> the things that make us cringe, all things. God wants to take even your worst mistakes and use them for great good. And so I want you to grab hold of this truth this morning. Your worst moments are actually where God can do his best work. I know that seems very countercultural to us, but those are the moments when God can show up. When you are at your lowest, when you are stuck in regret, those are the places Where God can bring about the biggest change. He wants to take your story and take us from regret and transform it into a story of redemption. And so, like Phelps, we've been talking in this series, if you've been here over the last few weeks, about another guy who had this story of a rise and then a fall and then another rise. He started out in relative obscurity, he was a shepherd out in a field taking care of sheep. And then in this improbable military victory, he overcomes this giant named Goliath, and suddenly the national spotlight is on him. He becomes the king of Israel. He goes on to write the book of Psalms, which is this really honest look in the Bible of the story of his life walking with God. But see, David's life wasn't without his own regrets either. If you know the story of David, you know that there are some really hard things in his story as well. We find his abuse of power with Bathsheba. And then from that abuse of power, Bathsheba comes to David and reveals to him that she is pregnant. And then to cover up his shame, to cover up his regret, David has her husband, one of his soldiers, killed. And then we find David crushed, his heart being crushed by the tragedy of the child that was born out of those mistakes and regrets, tragically dying. The truth is, is that our regrets can often also cause pain and devastation in our lives. And so we can get stuck here when we avoid our regrets, when we do what David did and try to run away from them or cover them up, we can get stuck in something that we have been calling the sorry cycle. The sorry cycle is when we get swayed back and forth between longing and regret, longing and regret. And so breaking the sorry cycle is about moving beyond that place of getting trapped in our regrets. And so we talked about the first way that we do this. It's to recognize our regrets. We have to stop running from them. We have to stop ignoring them or hiding them. We need to acknowledge them before God, before ourselves, and before others. We have to recognize our regrets. Then we need to release our regrets. Sometimes we're holding on to them so tightly. And breaking the sorry cycle, stepping out of regrets, happens when we open ourselves up to forgiveness. Forgiveness can look like um, asking for forgiveness. It can look like forgiving someone else. It often looks like forgiving ourselves as well. So David takes these first two steps. We see a description of this in Psalm 51. He cries out to God. Let's read this together. Have mercy on me, O God. According to your unfailing love, according to your great compassion, blot out my transgressions. And so today we're talking about the third step. We're talking about the next step that we need to take to continue to break and step out of this sorry cycle. And this step is called redeem your regrets. So what does it look like to redeem our regrets? Well, today we're going to return to David's story. We're going to explore three truths about redemption that we discover in David's life after he recognized and released his regrets before God. And so truth number one is that redemption is something God wants to do. God wants to do this. How amazing that God wants to invite us into freedom to redeem these regrets in our life. And my personal experience has shown me that without God, I don't experience redemption. But with God, there is hope and there is freedom. And how incredible that God wants to do this in our lives. God is the one that can redeem any and every regret, and the good news is that God wants to do it for us. But that doesn't mean that we don't have a part. We do. Our part is to trust God, to open up ourselves and to trust God with these regrets that we often hold on to tightly, that we try to hide, that we try to ignore. We have to invite God in. So how does this work for David? in this moment of his life. He's totally messed up. He can't undo what he did to Bathsheba. He can't cover up what he did to Uriah. And so he finds himself in this seemingly unbearable situation now. A situation I can't imagine the pain of, of a parent who is faced with losing their child I don't know what I would do in this situation, but we do find in 2 Samuel what David does. After all of this regret and pain, David responds in a way that honestly we might not expect. It says, then David arose from the earth and washed and anointed himself and changed his clothes. He went into the house of the Lord and worshiped how could he do this? How could he respond this way? How could he get up and go and worship God in this moment of incredible grief and pain? Well, think about it this way. Let's say that I am out in Lake Michigan. In the winter, there's been a storm, and I am drowning. I know. Just hang with me here. Terrible picture. But I am trying to survive, So what should I do in this situation? Should I flap my arms? Should I rely on my upper body strength to try and save me in this situation? Swim as hard as I can to stay afloat, to keep my head above the waves? No, there's no way that I can rescue myself in this kind of scenario. My only hope is to be saved. And in fact, when we look at scripture, the Greek word that is used to describe what we translate as redeemed could also be translated as to be rescued. So when we talk about redemption, we're talking about rescue. And that is what David recognizes in this moment. He realizes that he can't redeem these regrets by himself, but he can trust God to redeem them. He can trust God that no matter how bad the storm is, no matter what is taking over, the waves are rising, there is hope. Because God is the rescuer, he is the redeemer. And so the same is true for us. The most important thing that we can do is to trust God. So we have a part, and truth number one is that redemption is something that God wants to do. So let me ask you this. Will you let God do his good work in you and through you? Truth number two is that redemption takes many forms. Sometimes things don't look quite like we would have expected. Each time God redeems someone, they are perfectly shaped for that person. Every time God takes a difficult past and transforms it into a hopeful future that future is shaped perfectly for that person's story and so sometimes redemption can look like finding your way back to god many people myself included find ourselves on painful detours in life and when we get to that place of rock bottom we find ourselves asking questions of spiritual significance and meaning that maybe we didn't take so much time to look at before. And in doing that, we are wooed back to God. We find ourselves back returning to God, maybe for the first time or the second time or the third time, but we are, find ourselves taking steps closer to Jesus. Another way that redemption can show up in our lives is through spiritual growth. See, when you hit rock bottom, When I hit rock bottom, I found myself on my knees on a cold stone floor in a chapel at my college because I couldn't carry the weight of what I was carrying anymore. And it was from that place that I started to spiritually grow up because on your knees is a place of humility, where we recognize that we can't control the outcome of these regrets. We need to trust God to redeem our regrets and turn our story into something new. Redemption can also look like rescheduling. Maybe for you, you started a a business startup, but it failed. But now you prepared to later in life, embark on a, a new endeavor a place where you are now using your gifts and your talents in a way more than you could have ever imagined. Maybe you and your spouse wanted children as soon as you got married, but that child didn't come until years later. The plan just didn't turn out exactly like you had envisioned. In a situation like this, sometimes when God delays bringing us a gift, it's because he knows our life and our heart and the timeline better than even we do. Redemption can also look like redirection. I've known people who are devastated when the person, their significant other, breaks off an engagement. And suddenly, their path that seemed so sure now suddenly looks so unsure. And it can feel devastating. We don't know where to go from there. We lose a job, we, um, our career takes a different path from what we had expected thinking of a business executive who wanted to be a pastor but for several reasons it didn't work out and now he's running a thriving business he's making a difference in an area and in circles in the lives of people in the industry that as a pastor he might not have been able to reach god redirected his story in a way that he didn't imagine but now he has this amazing joy of being generous giving to fuel ministries to support his church god has him exactly where he's supposed to be redemption can also look like a chance to bless others i know recovering addicts that become counselors helping others along in their journey of recovery or those of us who were high school rebels that are now coaches And counselors and teachers and pastors using our own stories to create safe places for others to share their story. Regrets can be turned inside out by redemption. And when this happens, the next generation often is the one that benefits. It's pretty amazing to see the stories that unfold from there. I would even go as far to say that those of us that experience suffering have something unique to offer as we share our story, as we share our unique perspective. And so you might be asking, what form did redemption take in the life of David? Well, as David recognized and released his regret to God, God began to redeem his regrets, and he gave him another son. David named his son Solomon which means God's peace. See, David was finding peace as God redeemed his regret. God even confirmed this redemption by sending Nathan to David once again, and he gave Solomon sort of a a nickname, Jedidiah, which means God's beloved, God's peace, God's beloved. I can't help but imagine that as David looked at the face of this baby boy, he was reminded of the work that God was doing to redeem his shame and to redeem his regrets. God's peace, God's beloved. And so let me ask you again, will you let God begin to do his good work in you and through you? Our final truth is that redemption requires us to take the long view. See, although Solomon was born, God's peace, God's beloved, the fullness of redemption in David's life didn't take place just in that moment. It didn't happen all at once. And that's why this is our third and last truth. Redemption can take time, often longer than we would hope. We have to try to see things from God's perspective. And I'm gonna emphasize that word try because it's not always easy to take this perspective. We often want to see redemption happen now. (laughs) But instead it often takes eternity. At least it feels that way, right? God always wants to see things from the perspective of eternity. He wants us to have an eternal perspective and not just live in the right now. And in my perspective, in my experience, God is almost never in as big of a hurry as I am. If we look back to the story of David, he had to also take the long view. His son Solomon didn't show up and immediately make everything right and good. Solomon was actually his fourth child with Bathsheba. And for David to see God's redemptive work in action, he had to try and see things from the long view. When Solomon is born, David says this to Bathsheba, "'As surely as the Lord lives, "'who has delivered me out of every trouble, "'I will surely carry out this very day "'what I swore to you by the Lord, the God of Israel.'" Solomon your son shall be king after me, and he will sit on my throne in my place. See, the start of redemption is when Solomon is born, but the fullness of redemption doesn't actually come until Solomon sits on the throne of Israel. And as a king of Israel, Solomon does some amazing things. He sees the temple constructed in Jerusalem. Under his reign, Israel experiences unprecedented economic success and peace. And although Solomon in his story also has his own regrets and mistakes, most importantly, it is through the line of David and of Solomon that Jesus Christ, our Savior, is born. Now that is a story of regret turned to redemption. But David had to take the long view. And so often, we can struggle to have that perspective. We tend to panic if our regrets don't get redeemed right away. When we overspend, we think we're going to be stuck with that debt forever. When a business venture goes south, we think, I will never be successful. When a relationship falls apart, we think, my life is over. I'll never find love again or a friend like that again. If redemption doesn't come quickly, we tend to panic But the Bible is full of people who experienced redemption, but they had to have the long view. Moses was a murderer, but God redeemed him, redeemed his rage and hatred, and he went on to be one of the most significant leaders in Israel's history. Ruth was an idol worshiper, but God redeemed her, and she went on to be... The ancestor of Jesus. Peter was boastful and impulsive, prideful, and yet God redeemed him in his pride, redeemed his falls, and he became a rock on which the church itself was built. I could go on and on forever, but remember this. Redemption requires us to take the long view, and so I want to ask you one more time. Will you let God do his good work in you, and through you. God redeemed David's regrets through the birth of Solomon. It's how God worked out all things for good in David's life, even in his greatest regrets. And God wants to take your story of regret and turn it into a story of redemption as well. For the last couple of weeks, we've been following Greg's story. He has told us about how he has recognized, and released his regrets. And now we're going to hear about how God has been redeeming his regrets.
0: So I remember wrecking my car and the next thing I know I come to and I have no idea where I am. Done. I'm looking around and I know I'm in some sort of hospital. I asked the guy um, where I was, one of the patients, and he told me I was in the state mental ward, and I just remember thinking, oh, God, I got to get out of here. And as I'm laying in this hospital bed um, and the nurses are asking me to, to, you know, move upstairs into the, the, you know, the nut ward again, my only motivation at that point is I, I didn't want to hurt people anymore. I didn't want to hurt my family. I didn't want to hurt my fiance. I didn't want to hurt strangers. I just didn't want to hurt people with my life anymore. So I made a decision to go upstairs to accommodate their desires um, into the the mental ward. But I'd made up my mind that the minute I get out that I'm going to to take my own life. That's my worldview at that point. I'm in a mental ward um, and I know I'm going to take my life and I know there is no way out. So as I'm sitting in this this mental institution, and there was a woman who um, obviously had more issues going on than just substance abuse, but she was coloring and she broke her crayon. And in breaking that crayon, she started shrieking and thought the world was ending and her life was over. And I was trying to explain to her that, you know, it's just a crayon and that the world's not ending and her life's not over. In that moment, it was as if God had just whispered to me that it might not be over for me, And that was the first glimmer of hope that I had felt in years, I mean years. The mental ward offered to transfer me down to a um, a rehab facility in Florida. Even though I'd been to a million treatment centers and I didn't think they could help me, that little voice of God that said, uh, maybe it's not quite over for you either, gave me just enough willingness to say, okay, I'm alone in Florida. Every belonging I have can, it did actually fit in a garbage bag. I'm kind of a mess at that point. So even though I have hope, my life, I shouldn't have hope. So if you look at the state of my life when I'm in Florida, I'm homeless, I'm jobless, I have a broken shoulder, and this charity of the treatment center is going to run out soon. And and then what? I you know I've nowhere to go and nothing to do. And so I shouldn't have hope, but God just has a way of doing some pretty amazing things. And I remember sitting, uh, I was down there and I was at this bus stop, realizing that I can't fix all the things that I've done and I can't fix my own life. I also realized that maybe that's not what living is about. The point I'd missed the whole time throughout these years of even trying to follow Christ is that it's really not about me. Maybe it's all about God. And so maybe what I can do instead of regret all that i've done use that experience to be able to relate with others and maybe help show them the way out the same way that someone brought me out so i came up and i was able to reconcile things with my family and i went to uh, try and make things right with uh, my ex obviously that went well because today we're married we have two children uh, a four-year-old daughter and a two-year-old son the biggest thing that starting over means to me is the willingness to to not just let go of the past, because it's not, people always say that, you gotta let go and move on, but it, you can't forget what's happened. So I don't think that's the answer. When I think about starting over, what it's meant for me is to be willing to let go, instead of the past, let go of what the future's supposed to look like. This whole idea that I need to that I need to know the outcome of how to fix things and say, okay, I am a drug addict. I did lose everything. Like, I was this ugly person. I had these hard things happen. I did these terrible things. God, how can we use those to to some sort of good?
1: I'm so grateful for Greg's story and his willingness to share it with us because I don't know about you, but I can really relate to where he has described finding himself. When we are faced with our regrets, many of us, like Greg, want to control the outcome. We want to be in control of our own redemption, and our fear and our shame and our regret can leave us stuck in the sorry cycle, being swayed back and forth between longing and regret, caught chasing something that we can never quite capture. And so God wants to come into that space and break that sorry cycle and rewrite our story into a story of redemption. He wants to lead us into a new future. He wants to rescue us. And so when you came in today, you were given a card, should look like this, and a crayon. And so this morning we want to give you an opportunity to respond to god to trust him with your regrets to trust him with your redemption and so if that's something that you want i'm going to invite you to take that crayon and to break it in half then as you hold those pieces of this broken crayon in your hands take a moment to reflect on how regret has brought brokenness into your life. Where are the areas in your life when you want to be whole again? Nothing is better than God in these moments. Anything that we've tried to fill in, to satisfy, to bring relief from the regrets, there's really nothing better than the love of Jesus. And so I want you to take this card now as a representation of how God is willing to redeem our regrets he wants to redeem our regrets but in his time and in a way that might look different than what we were expecting but what he calls us to is to trust him and to take a step forward into freedom and into redemption and so on this card you're going to take one of those pieces of crayon and draw an arrow pointing forward I have my arrow. May this serve as a reminder of how God will be faithful to walk with us as we courageously take steps forward, as we recognize the regrets in our life, as we release them to God, and as we begin to take steps forward into this new life of redemption. God wants to take your story of regret and turn it into a story of redemption. That is his promise to us. So let's pray together. Holy Spirit, we welcome you in this place, and we thank you, God, that you love us, that you love us too much to leave us stuck in our regrets, drowning by our own mistakes but you raise us up and put our feet on a path towards freedom towards redemption and towards hope in a way that only you can do and so God I pray for each person in this room right now God that they would feel you speaking to them that you love them that they are your beloved children and that you will be with them no matter what the future ahead holds And so, God, we trust you in our lives. We trust you as we hold up these open hands to you with all the highs and the lows, God, and we just say, Holy Spirit, come. And we pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen.